As I'm uh, getting this up and running again, I'd like to introduce myself, uh, as was said, my name is Jacob Ginter. I'm originally from Manitoba, grew up in the Mennonite Mecca near Steinbeck. I uh, now am living in Guelph, Ontario. My wife and I, along with our two daughters, served in Spain for 11 years. And uh, in 2011, we transitioned back to Guelph. Guelph is where my wife grew up. And since I come from this huge family back in Manitoba, and since our home office, uh, the world team office in Canada, is in Mississauga, and since our girls think that Guelph is Canada and Manitoba is a place to visit, we settled in Guelph. So that kind of gives you a bit of a where we've come from, where we're going. So today, um, we're in the day of, uh, on the eve of Thanksgiving Day here in Canada, and I can think of nothing that I am more thankful for than the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the same time, I think of what we're seeing on the screen today, and I think of the whole station wagon vacation deal that people have lived through. You may not have lived through a station wagon deal. It might have been an RV. It might have been a pickup truck with a trailer behind it. It might have been a little Vega. I don't know. But this experience we've had, we've been on a trip, dad is convinced that if you don't get a thousand kilometers done in a day, you're a wimp. Mom is not so sure that she's packed everything she needs and she's a little worried about that. And the kids in the back are bored five minutes into the trip and just after dad stopped for a break, they gotta go pee. It's the vacation of a lifetime, right? Right? And so we say, are we there yet? And so something that we are really doing in order to grow family, in order to have relationship, in order to enjoy one another, becomes a pain in the neck. And I think that sometimes when we look at this whole journey that we've been on as Christians, we can have the same kind of problem. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, gave the Great Commission, went up to the Father. But even before that time, right at the beginning of creation, when God the Father and God the Son declared that it was very good, that journey started. That journey of mankind being reconciled back to God. Because God is a God of reconciliation. There was only two of them. And they walked away from God. And then immediately on the heels of that walking away, God started this redemption plan. And he wants all to be redeemed. All to be redeemed. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, Luke writes Jesus' words, his last words, to his disciples. He says to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One thing we need to remember about this is that this is 
at the same time, a command and a promise. You will do this, he says. You will do this. You're my disciples. You're my followers. You're the ones that are here to remind people of who I am. I was speaking to another gentleman after the first service, and I said, remember, the word man in the Old Testament is the word rememberer, the one who remembers, the one who reminds all of creation that we have a God to serve. That's who we are as people. But then, it's not just a command. It's also a promise. Because Jesus' commands never come without the promise. You will. You will. While you're out and about your business, you will be my witnesses. While you're out there doing a short-term mission trip, you will be my witnesses. While you're serving in a pregnancy center or you're serving in whatever capacity, you will be my witnesses. Yes! It's a promise. And he does not go back on his promises. He is faithful. And it's awesome. So, when we look at this, we can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. And I want to look at the book of Acts, just kind of a quick run-through on the book of Acts today. Looking out of, the, out of kind of the, the lens of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay? So, geographically speaking, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then he says, in Judea. So that's kind of like south of Jerusalem there. Then he says, you're going to be my witnesses up north in Samaria. So these guys are, are, are kind of going, okay, so we're right here and, and down there, and then we're going to go up there. And sounds good. Okay, great, great. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. And they're going, whoa, to the ends of the earth. That's a lot. Then if we look at it from a cultural lens, he says, you're going to be my witnesses to all the devout Jews in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the hub. And you're going to be my witnesses right here to these devout Jews and Jerusalem. Then you're going to go to the outlying areas and you're going to share this good news with people who have never heard it before, that weren't in Jerusalem, didn't know exactly what happened here when I died on the cross and I rose again. They won't know these things. You're going to go and do that. These people are going to hear. I want you to know that. So culturally, I'm going to send you to the Samaritans too. Now, this is a bit of a problem, okay? This was a bit of a problem because the Samaritans were not exactly really liked by the Jews because the Samaritans were half-breeds. See, what happened was when Israel, the, the, the northern tribes, were sent into exile, this is hundreds of years before Jesus came onto this earth, they're sent into exile to Assyria. The king said, hey, I'm going to do a double deed here to make sure this thing works. I'm going to take those rebels out of their country. I'm going to bring them home, and they're going to work for me here. It's going to be tough for them. And then I'm going to take some of my people. I'm going to put them over there because I know they, they already are my guys. So this way I take the problem, bring it here where I can keep my eye on it, and then I put people that I trust over there. So then over a period of time, there's intermarriage, and all these things go on. And the Jews are like, those people are not our people anymore. We do, no, they're not our people. And so there was this deep hatred, this deep treason, hatred. There's nothing good about those people. And Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to these people. And then he says, 
you're actually going to be my witnesses to the non-Jews as well. And what's interesting, I was reviewing the book of Acts this morning on the way over here. And um, I, I, by audio, okay? I wasn't reading while I was driving. It's okay. Um, so, interestingly, Peter actually says he quotes Abraham's blessing from Genesis chapter 12 in his message on the day of Pentecost. He quotes that. He says, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. So this is something that way before Jesus came, God already made clear to the people of Israel, this blessing is going to go beyond you guys. Okay? So that's on a cultural level. So then, if we look through the book of Acts, and this was something that amazed me as I prepared this message. I'm reading through the book of Acts, and every one of these things came true already in the book of Acts. Jesus took, did, did, did not take any time, did not hesitate to fulfill his promise right there. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, you got the preaching of Pentecost, okay? Pentecost celebration is not original with Christians, This was a celebration that the Jews had for years already. It was a celebration of the giving of the Torah when Moses received the Ten Commandments. Okay? So they're celebrating this amazing thing because the Passover happens, and then 50 days later, Pentecost happens. So what happens in the Christian calendar? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then Pentecost, right? So we're we're in good tradition there. All right? So... Then it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So Jesus promises, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Boom! It's happening, right? There it goes. Okay, then he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea. So what happens is as this thing kind of gets heated up, And the locals get all excited about it. And some of the local priests get upset about it. And some of the local rulers get upset about it. There comes this persecution and boom, everyone gets scattered to the outside of Jerusalem. And as they go, they share the gospel. Of course they do. This thing has changed their lives. They're just amazed with what God has done in their lives. When you you read the, 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 the response of the crowd to Peter's sermon... On the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the quick. I don't know if you've ever been cut to the quick. I had a conversation with a family member a little over a week ago. And when I heard some of the things that this family member has suffered, and I was totally unaware, I was cut to the quick. I was weeping. It's painful. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where... Also, one day you wake up and you realize, man, I've been a jerk. How could God ever love me? How come my parents even talk to me? How come come I'm even allowed to live? I'm a jerk. That's what these people were feeling. They were cut to the quick. How could we have had this message so clear before us and totally miss it when he was in our midst? And these are the people that get scattered throughout Judea and they are determined to tell other people about Jesus Christ. They're excited. 
because Jesus has changed their lives. So that's happening in chapter 8. And then, right in chapter 8, verse 5, we hear Philip goes and he starts declaring this message to the Samaritans. So people all over are starting to hear this gospel. And Philip is like, yep, I'm going to talk to these guys. I'm going to tell them that Jesus Christ loves them too. So he's determined to do that. And then Philip has this opportunity to talk to an Ethiopian eunuch. And from chapter 10 on, in the book of Acts, you, you, you see the story of Paul, who now is Paul the Apostle, and it just goes to the Gentiles. I think it's pretty exciting when I see how Paul, and, and, and this is so exciting when you see the whole of Scripture. Uh, in, in, I think it's in Philippians or is it Ephesians? Sorry, I'm not, I'm not remembering right now. But Paul talks about how he, is, he was a Jew of the Jews. He was a Pharisee, zealous for the faith. He was straight and narrow, squeaky clean. These guys hated anyone that wasn't a Jew. Hated anyone that wasn't a Jew. And Jesus takes this Gentile hater and makes him an apostle to the Gentiles. God changes people's lives in such ways that you cannot imagine. I think about some of the stories that come out of sex trafficking. And some of these people's lives have been so shattered, have been so devastated. And I'm talking about the perpetrators and I'm talking about the victims because sin leaves a path of devastation regardless of your role in it. Sin is horrible. And how God changes people's lives and makes the people that you think are the worst possible nightmare into amazing, loving people. There's a guy called Steve at Emmanuel Bible College in Kitchener. He went through Teen Challenge because he was in trouble and trouble. That guy cannot stop talking about his love for Jesus Christ. He knows what Jesus did for him, and it's turned his world upside down. So, what does that look like for us today? Well, our Jerusalem today could be seen in our VBS programs, could be seen in being involved in in this pregnancy center here, could be seen in a number of different ways. When we share our faith with our neighbors, when we have an opportunity to bow our head and pray at McDonald's and someone kind of looks at us sideways, when we have an opportunity to share our faith with friends at school, whether it's on the soccer team, whether it's on the, I don't know, in the book club or whatever it is that you're involved in, we are sharing in our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem today is people of like mind, people of like culture, and people of our same locality, okay? People that we can touch weekly. Then, There's others, like our Judea, it's a wider culture, still the same thought patterns, 
people in our university campuses, people on camp ministry. Maybe there's a soup kitchen in London or Windsor that we can be involved in. That's kind of out there a bit further. It's maybe we don't see them every week because it's not in our intersection between work and home or whatever. But that's kind of like our Judea. They're like-minded, but they're not exactly next door. You can't grab a coffee for five minutes. It actually takes you a while to drive down there and do it. Then there's our Samaria. And I think it's interesting that we Mennonites, we kind of have that, don't we? Because there's a lot of people that are in the German, low German-speaking world that we can, uh, if we're not careful, we can look down on. I tell you what, I did. I was terrible that way. When I grew up, I grew up in Manitoba, and there was a lot of people, a lot of people that emigrated to Manitoba came from Paraguay. Not as much from Mexico or Bolivia, but from Paraguay. And we had names for them, and we made fun of them because they spoke with an accent. And we, I mean, really, we were cruel. And I remember when God called us into missions, I was still unaware of my past sin. Then I went to Costa Rica and I started learning Spanish. And then when we came back from Costa Rica, I stood in front of one of our churches on Sunday morning and I apologized to our little German-speaking people. I know now what it's like to sound like an idiot when you're trying to speak a different language. It's hard. I got a whole year of language studies under my belt. Some of these guys came from Paraguay. Some of your parents, some of you have come from different parts of the world. You did not get language studies. No, no, no. You had to come here and get a job, sometimes minimum wage, to take care of your family and learn on the fly. Hats off. Hats off. There's no room for pride for us English-speaking people. But you know what? We struggle with that sometimes. And I'm so excited about Ileana's ability to serve in, in Bolivia to teach English. That's one way you guys are involved. And then, when we talk about the ends of the earth, we look at the unreached people groups of the world. Now, when we talk about unreached people groups, we are talking about people that unless someone leaves their culture and learns another culture or language, these people cannot be reached. I want to tell you about a little project that I'm pretty excited about, involved in right now, that uh, is going on in Peru. In Peru, in Lima, Peru, there are some 200,000 Chinese people, okay? These are the pure Chinese. If, there's up to a million if you talk about the intermarriage. But 200,000 people that speak either Cantonese or Mandarin. They've come there from China looking for a better life and looking for a platform to kind of skip to North America. Their end goal is North America. Canada, USA. They're there, 200,000, less than 500 believers. That constitutes an unreached people group. Anything less than 2% evangelical, you know what? That small group has a hard time really reaching their culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, one of the things that's really interesting about this is that we have some 200 Chinese evangelical churches in the greater Toronto area. And I'm in connection with some of these guys. 
So I'm going down now in a week, and I'm going to be organizing logistics, uh, interviewing people, getting to know people, setting up a vision trip so that we can take pastors from some of these Chinese churches in Toronto down to Lima with the vision to challenge them to go back and find a team of church planters to go there. That's exciting. That's exciting. God challenges us who have the resources, who have the abilities, who have the people to go there to bring them the gospel so that they too might have what we have, so that they too might enjoy salvation in Jesus Christ, freedom from sin, and the joy of glorifying God. Now, there's one more step that I want to talk about here, and that is the unengaged and unreached people groups of the world. Very often, these are Muslims. Very often, these are Muslims. Very often, these are small pockets of people, sometimes as little as 600, sometimes as much as a million. But the point is, there's about 200 million of them who don't have a hope. They, there's no one right now, church, or mission agency, or individual, that is targeting these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think back to Paul's words in Romans, and he says, how are they going to call upon him in whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How can they hear if it's not preached to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great joy. The underpinning for all of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ in your own heart, you got to get that right first. If you do not recognize that apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are absolutely destined to eternity apart from God, you need to get that one figured out first. Because salvation is a gift that you have yet to enjoy. Now, if you have enjoyed that gift of salvation and you say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that I'm going to spend eternity with him. Now, you get into this relationship with him. And the more you get to know him, the more you become like him. And the more you get to know him, the more you realize how he loves you. And that stirs love in your heart. And then you start saying, how many people don't even know? How in the world are they going to know? And then you ask Jesus, Jesus, what's my part? What's my church's part? Because your part, if you are part of a healthy church, and when I hear your vision statement, that sounds like a healthy church. If you're living it, not just saying it, that's a healthy church, growing, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ or something like that. Is that right? Say it again, Ike. Completely devoted followers 
followers of Christ. If you walk as a completely devoted follower of Christ, you will recognize day after day after day how amazing it is that he loves you. And you then, in the context of a body of believers that is walking in this way, will then can ask Jesus, what's my part? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jesus, tell me, what's my part? And get involved. I'm going to play one last, one short video for you guys. And uh, trust that as you celebrate Thanksgiving this weekend, that in the bottom of your hearts, thankfulness for what Jesus Christ has done and thankfulness that we have the privilege to live and have our being in him will overflow.